Well, God bless you folks. That was a great way to begin the service. A wonderful blessing to see people unashamedly, publicly identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ, especially right before Christmas. I feel so bad that Freeman is not here to witness it. He uh, was unprepared today, and so therefore... And I don't know why he's so unprepared. I give him my notes every Sunday, and he usually reads them pretty well. He's a good reader. That's how I put it. Merry Christmas to you. It's a privilege to say that to you. It's a special season for us all. Think about this most outstanding event represented by Christmas. Almighty God who has no beginning nor end. He always was. That's what makes him God. Pre-existent divinity came near. That's a miracle. You see, if he didn't do that, we would be left with the frustration of trying to access him, but we could not do that. Therefore, he condescended and fleshed. It's the Christmas event. So as to establish a point of contact, a bridge between us and an otherwise unapproachably holy God. It's the magnificent Christmas event. It's Emmanuel. We sang that word. It means God with us us, not distant from us, but with us. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's the essence of Christmas. God came near. But what, dear folks, if it's not true? What if what we're speaking about is mere wishful thinking? What if it's just a legend without any historical factual basis? Well, then you and I would be ones without hope. Good news it is true, and it is historically verifiable, the Christmas event. I have that on good account because the one who recorded this event was a very careful recorder and historian. You've heard of him before. His name is Luke. And we're going to consult Luke's story about the Christmas event. We'll do it in word and song in the next few moments. Luke, in chapter 2 let me call your attention to it, began this marvelous Christmas story uh, in a particular way, and Luke wants us to know that what he is recording is absolutely true, and you could stake your life on it. However, before we read Luke's account, we should know something about him to see if he has credibility. And so he very boldly and clearly puts on display his credentials as a careful historian. Let me read this to you. It's what Luke says of himself in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He said, It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order. Why? So that you might know the exact truth of the things you have been taught. And so Luke is a very careful professional historian whose record we could put confidence in. And here's how he began his account with these words, now in those days. And so it's history. It's a past event from our frame of reference. But because of the credibility of the writer, we can place our faith in the credibility of what he wrote. And he wrote in recording the Christmas story, in those days, a decree went out from someone called Caesar Augustus. It was a decree, not a suggestion. And this person, Caesar Augustus, had the authority to 
pronounce it because he was the head of the Roman Empire. At the time, the Romans controlled the then-known world, including the Middle East, namely Israel, where this Christmas event took place. He's called Caesar Augustus, and he's a real historical figure. In fact, you can see a depiction of what he looked like in this bust, in this statue, which is ancient. This is what this good-looking uh, yet egotistical maniac looked like. Caesar Augustus. Caesar is not a name. It's a title. It means something like emperor or king. Which one? Well, the most august one. He chose this name for himself. He essentially said, I'm the big guy, and there's nobody bigger than me. And so I speak to you about Caesar Augustus for the same reason Luke did. It's to verify that this event is not mythological. It took place for sure at a particular place and time. Caesar Augustus, one of the characters in the Christmas story, actually existed. And folks, what we're reading about is not wishful thinking. It's actual history. It took place. And so if the Christmas event has shaped and formed your life, you're on firm ground. I'm telling you, folks, the birth of the most special one, the Lord Jesus, actually took place. It came at a point in time. In fact, in the words of a very well-known Christmas carol, it actually came upon the midnight clear. And we have the privilege of reflecting on that. His wonderful Jordan sings it to us. It came upon the midnight clear That glorious song of old From angels bending near the earth To touch their hearts of gold Peace on Absolutely wonderful. He sang that on key, didn't he? I wonder what that's like. I just have never had that experience. <laughs> Folks, what we're speaking about and what we're singing about really happened. It's a matter of verifiable historical record. In that day, uh, the day Luke is speaking about, this fellow Caesar Augustus was thought to be the one who shaped the then world, but people were wrong about that. No, destiny was being shaped in an unlikely place in a cradle in Bethlehem. Beit Lechem is its name in Hebrew. Beit House Lechem of bread. Don't you find it interesting that Jesus, who is in fact the bread of life, was born in the house of bread? Bethlehem. Now, folks, we should be honest about things, even as we are gathered here today in this comfortable environment. This isn't a comfortable day for some, maybe for many of you. Maybe the first Christmas you're celebrating uh, without the presence of a loved one. 
Some have passed already, some expectedly, some rather suddenly. And the holidays, especially Christmas, we know this accentuate a sense of the absence of a loved one. We sympathize with you and are so glad you're here anyway. Maybe even in the midst of pain, you've done so because in spite of circumstances, you know the Lord Jesus is worth your time and attendance and worship. So we're glad you're here. Nonetheless, it's hard to focus on the the essence of the holiday because of your circumstances. Then for others of us who are not in that level of pain, still the distraction of the season really, really dissuades us from focusing on the essence of the season, the Lord Jesus. It's really hard to keep our focus on the Christ child even during the Christ Mass, because it's just uh, such a time of hustle and bustle. But let me encourage you, even those who are in the midst of some challenging days, and even those of you who are somewhat distracted by the things of life, could I invite you to go back to Bethlehem for a spell, at least in your heart and mind? In fact, there's a well-known hymn, a carol, Christmas carol, that specifically does that, It invites us, in spite of our current circumstances, it invites us back to Bethlehem. These are the words, Oh, come, all ye faithful. Would you do that as we listen to the words of that song sung by Wonderful Misty? Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come. God bless you. Beautiful, beautiful. Folks, the world has never been the same. Emperors, kings, Caesars have come and gone in spite of their temporary influence, but there's none like the baby king Jesus born in Bethlehem whose influence continues today. Luke tells us that in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus and that the census, we're told, involved all the inhabited earth. It was a census, a decree of great expanse. And yet none of us have seen that particular document, the census. I wonder why, if it was so important, we don't have it in our possession today. 
I think it's because its significance only lies in the fact that it's connected to a poor little Jewish baby boy who in that day was born in Bethlehem. Now, why did this Roman leader issue this decree? It's because of taxation. In order to run the government, things haven't changed. They needed the taxes of the citizenry, and he wanted to make sure all those who were citizens in the Roman Empire were paying their due taxation and expectation and so he wanted to count them in the form of a census so that's what took place he was a man of great influence and power Caesar Augustus and yet his influence and significance has largely passed today but King Jesus continues to captivate our hearts we can reflect on this as we listen to the words of this beautiful song. We've saved this one. It's kind of an older hymn, and therefore it's quite fitting that we should ask the oldest member of our trio <laughs> to sing it for us. He comes a child from realms on high. He comes the heavens adoring. He comes to earth to live and die, a broken race restoring. Although the King of kings is He, He comes in deep humility, His people to Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Folks, the reign of Caesar Augustus, as you know, has ended, but the Lord Jesus, in fact, by faith, reigns in our hearts forever. And so we read this in Luke's account, now verse 2. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Who's he? Well, we know about a as much about Quirinius as we do about Caesar Augustus. Both men were quite important at the time, but their significance has surely waned so that down to our very day we barely know anything about them. And yet, once again, the baby born in Bethlehem is intensely significant, I hope, to us today. And so we read in verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. It was by decree of Caesar Augustus who had authority to require this. And that means even folks, you've heard of them, like Joseph and Mary, were obligated to lead, leave the place they now lived in in order to go back to their home of origin. I assure you it was a difficult journey. It was about 80, maybe 90 miles, and they traveled it by foot or donkey. So it would be you and I walking, for instance, from here to Huntsville, dusty roads. It was hot. Uh, this teenage Jewish girl, she was a teenager at the time, is about to birth a child, and they had to make this journey from the north to the south. They didn't want to, they didn't choose to, but they had to, for though they were in the place promised them by God, they were not entirely free. In fact, they were subjugated to the Roman Empire. And so they made this journey, and verse 4 tells us, Joseph also went up from Galilee 
Galilee is in the north. They were going to the south, and yet it says they went up. Well, it's in elevation, but not just physical or topographical. It's also in a spiritual sense. They were going up to this most holy part of the land. And so Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Well, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And so you can see depicted on this map of sorts the journey they took again about 80 or 90 miles from Nazareth in the north-south to Bethlehem. Folks, it looked like Caesar Augustus and Quirinius were calling the shots, but in fact it's not true. Behind it all was evidence of our most sovereign God. In fact, God himself promised long before, centuries before, that all this would happen. In fact, he did so through the words of someone named Micah in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. There it says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Hundreds of years before it happened, God decreed that it would. And so we may be tempted to think the governmental leaders were in control, but it wasn't Caesar Augustus who created or Quirinius, who had ultimate sovereignty, was Almighty God. In fact, God was unveiling his marvelous plan through these two men. They didn't even know about it at the time. And so Joseph traveled south from Nazareth to Bethlehem, verse 5 tells us, in order to register, you see, along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was with child. Is this a tough Christmas for you? It might be. I'm glad still we're in each other's company during the good times and the bad. Well, I don't think this was an easy Christmas for Mary either. Remember the journey, dusty roads, 80, 90 miles, maybe on a donkey's back. She's pregnant at the time. People would ask her, because she was showing, you know, nine months. They would say to her, Mary, so uh, is Joseph the father? She would have to say, no, 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 he's not the father. We, we violated no standards. We've not yet been together. Joseph is not the father? Well, then to whom do you attribute the, the baby? Oh, uh, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, he's the one who did all this. That's a tough message for a teenage girl to explain to people. You think you're having a tough Christmas for crying out loud. There she is in her ninth month. She's traveling about 80 miles on dusty roads by foot or by donkey to a place. It's not her home. She's doing it because some creepy government official is requiring it of her. This was a tough Christmas for Mary. And so verse 6 tells us while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to give birth. This happens. The mother nor the father has any control over it. The baby really seems to be in control. The baby sort of comes out into this world when the baby is ready. I'm told doctors, you know, they give you a birth date. You know, the baby's going to be birthed on such and such date. But the studies indicate only 5% of babies are ever born on that particular date. It's just an educated guess. God determines the time on which the baby comes out. A little bit of a humorous story in this regard is this. A lady who was pregnant ordered something, some maternity clothes from a maternity 
uh, shop, but uh, they didn't come on time. And so she called them and she said, you've not yet delivered uh, the maternity dress I ordered. Please cancel the order, she said. My delivery came faster than yours. That's the way it is. Now, the birth of this special baby was not arbitrary. God determined the time for sure. He set the date. He ordained the time. In fact, we read this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, that's Jesus, born of a woman, that's Mary, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and as as daughters. The time was perfect from God's point of view, and we can see why. Alexander the Great was a guy who conquered the then-known world, and as a result, uh, uh, language was the same. They spoke a a form of Greek that was available to everyone, the high and mighty and even the common person. And so this gospel, this good news, this marvelous story of the birth of a Savior could be propagated throughout the whole empire. People spoke the same language. Furthermore, uh, the Romans built a magnificent road system. In fact, you can in part travel it today. They were marvelous engineers. And along the way, they posted Roman garrisons to keep things safe. And so people could travel throughout the whole Roman Empire, again, sharing the gospel. It was a time of relative world peace, no wars. It was called the Pax Romana. And it was a really great time, in other words, for the gospel, the good news of this special babe born in Bethlehem to be propagated. And that's why Almighty God chose this particular time. This was the fullness of time in which the Lord Jesus entered our space-time dimension. And his arrival was not arbitrary. In fact, it had been predicted or foretold or prophesied centuries earlier. Listen to this verse. You're familiar with it. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, not whimsy or circumstances alone. No, no. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here's the sign. The virgin, well, that's Mary, will conceive and give birth to a son. That's Jesus. And we'll call him Emmanuel. God with us. Almighty God, the unseen, transcendent deity who has no beginning nor end, the one we couldn't access by our own means, this God came near. You can call him Emmanuel, God with us. And so the long-awaited Savior has finally come. And wonderful singers, Jordan, Misty, and Bill, I wonder if you would sing to us uh, this beautiful song to remind us of it. Come thou, long-expected Jesus. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us.
bless you. Thank you. Come thou long expected Jesus. Luke in verse 7 says more. He records, and she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in, of all places, a manger. What amazes me about Luke's account is that it's also normal and ordinary. Mary would not be the only Jewish mother who would swaddle her newborn infant in long strips of cloth. Every Jewish mother in that day, many even today, would do so. Think about it. The baby has been enwombed for nine months. It's a pretty wonderful environment, warm and close, safe and protected. And all of a sudden, the birth ushers in a new, relatively harsh reality for the newborn babe. Welcome to the real world. And so the baby's appendages are flailing all over the place, you know, and still looking for some warmth and security. And so a loving mama would take these long strips of cloth and swaddle the baby's arms and legs close to his body so that there would be a kind of a replication of the in-womb experience. That's what Mary did. Everybody did it. Folks, it amazes me that the most extraordinary event of human history was rather normal as far as its procedure rather ordinary at the time. Mary is now nine months pregnant, you see. Her journey to Bethlehem was, as I say, about 80 miles long on bumpy, dusty roads. She arrives in Bethlehem. The baby is birthed, and now what is she going to do? Look for a place to stay, I take it. In fact, the text says she laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn, which is amazing. Now, I don't want to shake your faith in the Christmas story, but you see where it says she laid him in an inn. The word inn could be translated guest room in the home of a family member. In fact, it's more likely that that was the case. Bethlehem was a small place at the time. It's not likely that there was a commercial motel or a hotel there. I don't think inn means that. A place in a family member's home is what she was looking for. You can understand that. She just went through the throes of birth. Now she's looking for a rather private place for her and a newborn babe. But there was no place, whether it be in an inn or a family member's house, there was no place for them whatsoever. So what is she going to do? Well, she found a place, but it was rather unlikely. It was sort of a cave-like environment. It was a place that housed probably farm utensils and even animals, livestock. It was a manger, you see. Look, she's exhausted. This isn't the ideal place in which to spend the first few days with her newborn baby. What is she going to do? Everything else is booked up. No open doors for she and the newborn babe. The only place available in the day was a stable. And so that's where she began to nurture the baby Jesus. Makes no sense if you think about this infant holy, though lowly. You see, his bed, a cattle stall. It doesn't make sense. We ought to give that some thought as Brother Bill sings this to us. Infant holy, infant lowly, for his bed, a cattle stall. Oxen lowing, little knowing, Christ the babe is Lord of all. Swift are winging, angels singing, Noel's ringing, 
Christ the babe is Lord of all. Christ the babe is Lord of all. God bless you, brother. Beautiful. Thank you. Doesn't make sense to us. Jesus' first night on earth spent in a manger. His first night on earth spent in a rather dark and dirty place. And his life would end on an even more dirty place, a dirty old wooden cross. And so he went from a manger to a cross. Neither place was fitting to Almighty God. And I can tell you about a place that is even less fitting than a manger. It's our own hearts. Most of the time, also dark and dirty places. That's the nature of our hearts. And even more surprising than God's willingness to be birthed in a manger is his willingness to take up his abode in our sinful lives. And he is willing. I know that. That's the message of the Christmas story. That almighty God who existed from before time came born as a babe, very attractive, non-threatening, a God who in that fashion says to us, please come near to me, I do not bite. That babe grew to be the Lord Jesus suffering and dying on a cross in our place. He had to be human in a sense. He had to be enfleshed because God can otherwise not die. This is what he did and he did it in order to take up his abode in our life. In fact, he came here. This is the Christmas event in effect to say to us, come into my heart, would you please? There's room in your heart for me. Jordan, would you please sing that song to us? Thou didst leave thy throne like when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found no room for thy holy nativity. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Oh, there is room my heart for thee. Amen, amen. Thank you, brother. There was no room for him, even in the inn, let alone people's hearts. They didn't know he was the Savior. He looked so unkingly at the time. They missed the Savior because of it. In fact, a writer put it this way, majesty in the midst of the mundane, holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat, divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager, and in the presence of a carpenter. And so they missed the Savior. What about you and me? We can miss him for various reasons, not the least of which is pride. The other is distraction with the things of life. Even the very good and pleasant things with which we surround this special season, even they are a mere shadow of the substance who is Christ. And so we, can, we could miss his kingly nature. One of the things that persuades me that he is who Luke says he is, to tell you the truth, is that Luke's historical record is, 
is not the stuff of legend. When you want to write a legendary account about your hero, you, you, you emphasize the glory and the, and the pomp and the splendor of your hero. But Luke does none of that. He depicts our hero, the Lord Jesus, birthed in a very lowly way and in poverty. And all of that is not the stuff of legend. It actually took place. This is how the birth of Jesus is in fact described in Luke's account. Without much fanfare, in fact, a wonderful song tells us about how silently and how silently this marvelous, even inexpressible gift is given. Bill, could you please remind us of that? How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given so god imparts to human hearts the blessing of his head no ear may hear his coming but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still the dear christ enters in Amen. <clears throat> is there room in your heart for jesus there was no room in the inn in the guest room people shut the door to christ what about you are you willing even during this special Christmas season to make room for him? What a marvelous and meaningful Christmas this would be if for the first time you moved past the circumference of the day and focused on the core. The core is Jesus who came near in order to build a bridge between sinful folks like you and I and almighty and holy God. Don't miss Jesus this Christmas. Is there room in your heart for him? For the one who says, yes, come into my life, Lord Jesus. If you're one who receives him by faith, things happen that are marvelous. He establishes a kind of never-ending relationship. We can call it communion. In fact, he invites it, come into union with me. He invites it. It's a kind of union that has a beginning, but here's really good news. No end. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on the faithfulness of the one you by faith have embraced. I pray you leave this place, even in this season characterized by an exchange of gifts between ones who love one another, don't move past the most inexpressible gift ever offered. It's the gift of eternal co-union, communion with Almighty God through Jesus the Son. Soon our deacons are going to come and distribute elements to you reflecting that marvelous communion. Before that happens, however, I want to invite those of you who've never accepted the baby king, Lord Jesus, to be the one who is your sin substitute. I want to invite you, before we take leave of one another today, as you make your way out, to go that way and then turn inside to a room we call the Connection Center because there are wonderful people there who'll talk to you about how, especially during this special season, how you by faith can establish a never-ending connection with the Lord Jesus
Now I want to invite our deacons to come and distribute the elements to you now. As they come, I want to tell you what we're about to do is quite sacred. It's quite holy. The deacons are going to distribute to you two elements. Could you hold them reflectively until everyone has received them? And when they have, we'll partake together because this holy communion, this Lord's Supper, not only reflects our communion with the Lord Jesus, but with all those who by faith have called upon his name. was bread it was food and the Lord gave it a new meaning he said do this partake of this in in remembrance of me that's what he said food items that's what he did he used ordinary food items to remind us of an extraordinary event that Jesus would be willing the babe born in Bethlehem would be willing to grow so as to be our substitute on an old rugged cross and so in essence he said just as you regularly partake of food for physical nourishment, feast on me by faith. I will nourish you spiritually. I'm the bread of life. I'll nourish your souls. This symbol, the Lord said, partake of it. This bread is a symbol of my body broken for you. Let's partake together. And then the Lord at a special dinner, we call it the Last Supper, he raised this particular cup. You know what he said? He said, this cup, which is poured out for you, I'll tell you what it is. It's the new covenant in my blood. Isaiah tells us that if there's a color for sin, it's scarlet. Isaiah said, though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. How could that be? It's the red. It's the scarlet color of the Lord's shed blood that covers up the scarlet nature of our sin. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. And now we say thank you to you, Lord Jesus, for coming in the midst of all the good things that could occupy, even preoccupy our thoughts. Still we re to be distracted from the essence of the day we celebrate. You, God, came near. Therefore, we by faith can be with you. We could have communion with you now and forevermore. In this day of instability and uncertainty, we're so grateful for the certain possibility by faith of a never-ending relationship with you. Though you be holy, we be unholy. Still you say, I'll take you just as you are. I'll change you from the inside out. I'll adopt you as sons and daughters. I'll be your father forevermore. Simply accept my only begotten son, the babe born in Bethlehem. It's you, Lord Jesus. And these things we pray in your priceless name. Amen. 
Well, dear folks, Merry Christmas to you. Meaningful Christmas to you. I hope the most meaningful you and I have ever had this year. If you're a guest with us today in particular, thank you for coming, spending your time with us. We'd like to spend a little more time with you if you cared to. We're going to make our way to another room called the Hospitality Rooms. You go out, it's to the left. You go that way. It's a glass-enclosed kind of a room. You can't miss it. There some of us will be. We'd like to meet you, but also give you a special gift. It's a beautiful family Bible. Tells the story. We only told part of it. Tells the story of the Almighty and about the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd like to put it in your hand and greet you, and then you'll be on your way. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Lord willing, next week, Brother Freeman will be back with us.